Well, good evening. It's uh, great to be with you. Uh, add my own welcome uh, to that of Alan. And if you have uh, that passage that we had read earlier um, from uh, 1 Peter, chapter 1, uh, open in front of you, that would be very, very helpful. It's uh, page 1217, if you've closed the Bible. And uh, let's pray, shall we, as we come to look at it. Lord, we've been singing earlier of uh, that you are the hope living in us. Thank you, Lord. That's the hope that Peter testifies to in these words, a living hope uh, through the resurrection. And we pray that as we look at these words, uh, your word would be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern. Uh, For your sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I wonder if you've heard of a lady called Deborah Powell. She was in the news not so long ago. Uh, because her sister stole her inheritance. Uh, She is one of two sisters. Their mother sadly passed away, and uh, they were left £25,000 to share between them. I don't quite know the full details, but what seems to have happened is that the sister managed to, one sister managed to grab it all, and uh, frittered it away before uh, Mrs. Powell could uh, get her share of it. And she is going through the courts to... uh, to uh, try and get her share back. I don't know how successful she's been, but, uh, but there you have it. And it's a, a story we can look at and think, oh, well, thank goodness that's not me. But I wonder if spiritually, actually, there is a sense in which we can feel a bit like uh, Mrs. Powell. If we're Christians, if we've been followers of the Lord Jesus for a while, I, I suspect we, we are happy to sing that we have a hope, as we've sung about earlier. We have an inheritance, if you want to put it like that. We're happy with that. We, we know that's true. And yet when life gets difficult, there can be that temptation just to think, is it still there? Is it, is it really all there? Do we really have this hope that we've been singing about that the Bible tells us to put our trust in? Can that sense that is it still there? Is it still there for us? Is it something that uh, we can still hang on to? Or has it uh, been frittered away? And we might end up realising at the end of the day there's nothing there. Well, the first letter of Peter that we're going to be looking at over the next uh, few weeks is written to assure Christians who are experiencing difficulty that whatever happens, they can trust God. They can trust that God cares for them and that he has a plan and a purpose uh, for them. Uh, that will never be shaken. It is the letter of hope, as one, uh, one writer has put it. Uh, and if it's a message that uh, we need to hear, and I certainly think I need to hear it again and again, I'm sure that uh, you could say the same, it was even more so for his uh, original uh, hearers. Uh, Peter is writing to a group right on the edge of the Roman Empire. If you read the first uh, few verses, you've got this list of strange names, haven't you? Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, I think that's how you pronounce it, I'm not even sure, to our strange names, but they were right on the, on the edge of the Roman Empire, on the north coast of Turkey, if you uh, want to put it that I looked up in, your Bible, in the Bibles that you've got, but the map doesn't have them on there, so it was a bit useless, but there we go, that's where we are. Uh, the situation is that they are scattered and discouraged. Uh, it's about AD 64, 65, no one's quite sure exactly when the uh, letter was written, uh, but in Rome, long, long uh, distance away from them, Uh, The Emperor Nero is stirring up the Roman Empire against the Christians. There's been a great fire, the great fire of Rome. Lots of Rome burnt down, AD 64. And Nero blamed it on the Christians. 
Uh, and alongside that, he blamed that they were being disloyal to the empire. They weren't. Uh, they were following someone else rather than the empire. Uh, and by the time that Peter is writing, things are just beginning to hot up. Quite literally, actually. Um, one of Nero's uh, hobbies was to take Christians and set them alight to use them as tor- human torches for his garden. Dreadful man. Things were hotting up. Life was getting very difficult. If it wasn't difficult for them now, they knew that in the very, very near future it would be. And in the midst of all that, Peter can still encourage them, praise God. Praise God. Why? I think he gives us three reasons uh, this evening. And the first is that he says, praise God for a hope that is established. Look with me at uh, verses, uh, uh, particularly at verse 3. Uh, Praise be, he says, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, Whatever else happens to these believers, uh, Peter knows that Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus, are in a wonderfully privileged position. Uh, They have been born again as he puts it, born again into a living hope. It's a bit of a cliche now, isn't it? If you say you're a born-again Christian, people think that means you listen to Graham Kendrick with a, you know, with a guitar. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that you are somebody who has a new birth. Your spirit, your heart has been changed, born again into a living hope. Uh, they're people who have confidence of life eternal because they have a new spiritual life through the bodily, the real resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Uh, They are, if you want to put it, participants in the resurrection life of Christ. They participate in his resurrection. Life has been changed for all eternity because of that first Easter Sunday. They have resurrection life. It's not a life that they've done anything to earn or deserve. It's not something that's been passed down uh, from uh, their parents. It is solely the work of God says Peter, because it has occurred in his great mercy. Do you see that in uh, verse 3? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. It it is in accordance with God's steadfast love to prepare uh, sinful people to share in his salvation. And he's made that possible through the death and the resurrection of his son. Uh, Right from the very beginning, Peter notes, God has set his particular love on this little group of Christians. Do you see that in uh, verse, um, verse 1? He says, to God's elect. Then verse 2, they've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They are part of God's people. Not because of anything that they've done, they can't earn this. But it is because God has chosen them right from the very, very start. He's picked this small group of people to be part of his people. And he's made that possible from start to finish. It's not anything that they can do. He has made it possible. He's done everything to make them part of his people. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, uh, some of you remember that Israel was referred to constantly as the people of God. Uh, And God made it very clear that they were chosen out of all the nations. They weren't a particularly significant nation. Far from it, they were very small. They had nothing to really recommend them. Half the time they were in slavery. They had nothing to recommend them. And yet God had chosen them out of all the rest of the nations because of his great love. And it's striking, isn't it, that Peter takes those great Old Testament promises that would have meant so much for the people of Israel, and he applies them to the church. 
Uh, Those who follow Jesus, you and me, are inheritors of these promises. Uh, We are the, the people of God. We are the people whom God has chosen from right before time began. He chose you and he chose me to be part of his people. Is that not amazing? We are part of his elect, part of the chosen, through the foreknowledge of God. That is hope, isn't it? Hope is not a commodity that is in great supply in our world today. We've been thinking about it a little bit already. I wonder what you put when you uh, wrote on your little sheet at the start. Uh, I've been reading a fascinating book, actually, about um, the state of Britain just after um, the very first World War. We, we were coming up to the, um, the uh, anniversary of the start of the First World War. And it is fascinating to see how, as a nation, people were convinced in the upward progress of the human race. Time and time again, people were convinced that science was going to provide the answer and things could only get better. They would never be as dreadful as uh, the war had been. And yet, what, 30 years later, the same thing was happening again. Uh, We live in a world, don't we, which has seen not only two world wars, we see famine, natural disasters... Uh, we've seen nuclear wars in terms of nuclear bombs at uh, Hiroshima and so on. Hope is not something that is particularly common in our world. That shining dream that was held out all those years ago, that if only we could uh, get it right with science, that mankind was just going to be on a constant upward trajectory, has disappeared. It's a shining dream that's become a mirage, hasn't it? And I guess for many people in our world, and perhaps you have a sense of this, There are lots of people who think, well, basically, we're all going to hell in a handcart. Let's just live for the moment. Whatever, let's do it. Who cares? If you want to get drunk, go for it. If you want to sleep with someone, fine, do it, whatever. What's the point? Where's it all going? Life is without hope. And the Bible meets both of those issues head on. So those who are putting all their trust in humanity, who just think if science gets it right, everything's going to be A-OK, we're just going to get better and better, It says, no. It says, to put our faith in humanity is doomed to failure, to disappointment. We're all, even our best efforts are stained with sin. It's all going to go wrong. And yet, at the same time, we don't need to despair, do we? Because the Bible says that into our world, this world that has turned its back on God, this world that where hope is, is, seems to be lacking, God has broken in through the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Because of him, whoever turns to him can be assured of a real, a living hope that Peter talks about here. We can know that to be true, both now and for eternity. We can praise God that hope is established. We are people of hope. That's the first thing. Peter praises God for a hope that has been established. But secondly, more than that, he praises God for a hope that has been maintained. Uh, Look on with me, if you will, at uh, verse 4. He carries on. Uh, And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, Think back a few years ago. I suspect for many of us, the first stirrings... um, that there was a financial crisis of any sort, this is probably, what, 2007 are we talking about, Uh, were the pictures of uh, investors 
queuing outside Northern Rock branches. You might remember seeing those pictures, and maybe it's in the newspaper or on the, on the television. It was the uh, first bank run in the UK for 150 years. Uh, have been others, but uh, that was the, the first for 150 years. And the fear for the Northern Rock investors was that uh, this, this place that they thought was going to be a secure place to store their, their investments and their money was turning out to not be so, so, so secure after all. And so they wanted to get their money out of it. It's striking, isn't it? Peter praises God that that is not the situation for the Christian. <laughs> that is not true of the Christian's great hope, but it's not like Northern Rock, praise God. It's, uh, it is the safest investment that there could possibly be. Uh, again, he adopts uh, Old Testament language to describe it. This, uh, he uses the, the, the term inheritance. You probably noticed that in verse 4. Uh, in the Old Testament, again, the, the land of Canaan, the promised land that God promised to his people, uh, is time and time again referred to as their inheritance. It's a very strong, strong Old Testament theme. He's using this language very, very deliberately. Uh, God promised it to his people. It was their inheritance uh, for them. Uh, and you can read of them taking possession of it uh, in the book of Joshua, particularly. Uh, and, and Joshua, and uh, just before that with Exodus and so on, it's connected, I think, with our Ebenezer, I should say. And yet, as wonderful as that promise was for God's people, this, uh, this promise of inheritance, ultimately, it didn't last. It was invaded, uh, it tarnished, uh, the people messed up, it, it, things all went pretty wrong, ultimately. That's the, the story of the, the Old Testament, really. And it's wonderful that Peter compares the hope of the Christian to that hope of the Old Testament believers. It's not so with the inheritance of the Christian. Uh, the inheritance of the Christian, of the church, is not real estate, it's not property, it's not a promised land, but it is salvation, the presence of God himself. That is the hope that God promises for his people. Uh, it's a promise, it's an inheritance that can never be corrupted, can never be exhausted or attacked. It is secure for all eternity. How can Peter be so sure that this hope is so secure? Well, there are two things, I think, for us to, uh, to take, uh, take heart from and to trust on. Uh, the first is we can be sure of our inheritance because God himself has reserved it for us. Did you see that? Uh, verse 4. He said, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you through faith. We can be sure of our inheritance because God himself has reserved it until that day when it is time for it to be revealed. Uh, we don't need to be afraid. It's in his safekeeping. It's not going to run out. It's not going to, uh, uh, to, to tarnish or spoil. It's out of the reach of harm. No one's going to steal it. It is going to be safe. It's safe because God has reserved it for us. God is keeping our inheritance for us until the right time. And yet, secondly, more than that, we can be sure that not only is our inheritance being kept for us, but we are being kept for it uh, through God's mighty power. Uh, verse 5, Peter continues, who through faith, you, through, who through faith are, being, are shielded by God's power. Uh, that word shielded is, is a military term that Peter uses. It, it means, I suppose, to put a guard of soldiers around something. Wonderfully vivid illustration. Peter says that God is guarding our hope 
for us until the last day when we might enter into it in full possession. Our hope is secure, not because of anything we've done, but because the one who has established it is also the one who promises that he will maintain it. What might that mean for um, us uh, this evening? Let me suggest that I think it offers both a challenge and an encouragement for us. Let me first uh, think about challenge. Uh, You can't go very far in the New Testament without realising that it repeatedly warns us about the danger of putting our trust in that which ultimately will prove worthless. A good example is money. Jesus spoke about money almost more than anything else uh, in his ministry. Uh, It's a good example of something that we can put our trust in, or possessions, money, material things, but ultimately will prove uh, worthless. Think of one of his um, most, well, to my mind, one of the most frightening parables that he told, Luke um, 12, the parable of the rich fool, this man who had stored up wealth for himself. He had uh, lived a successful life, stored it up, thought he would retire, live off the proceeds, and then died. And at the last, it was, it was all too obvious that he had he'd built up his worldly wealth, but he had neglected uh, his relationship with God and his investment in eternity. And I wonder this evening, for how many of us could it be said that we are truly investing our lives in eternity rather than the now? Uh, I was struck when I was, uh, we were doing the exercise earlier, thinking through that and thinking of how many things in my life that I invest in which are ultimately for the now. They will pass away. Can't take them, I can't take them with me. They won't last. How, how, this, this challenge that Peter issue, issues to us, I think, to put our trust in that which will not spoil, that which will last for eternity, that which will hold true. Uh, Many of you, I'm sure, will know the story of um, Jim Elliot, missionary uh, a number of years ago, in the middle of the last century, who um, American missionary who went uh, to uh, a remote tribe in Ecuador and lost his life taking the gospel. A very well-known story and worth worth reading up on. Uh, Famously, he said these words shortly before uh, he died. Uh, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Uh, He was a man who had grasped the truth of Peter's words here, that we are to invest in a hope for eternity, things that will last, things that ultimately uh, we uh, will still have at the end, that will count for, uh, for all of history and not to uh, invest in things that will, will perish. Yet equally, I think it is an encouragement, isn't it? It is a wonderful comfort to know that whatever life throws up for us, when we are trusting in Christ, our future truly is secure. God's power is at work uh, on both sides of the veil. It both preserves the inheritance for us, for the future, and yet it's also preserving us for our inheritance. It would, I guess, be little comfort to know that our inheritance was secure if we had doubt that we were going to one day enter into it. I don't know about you, but there's plenty of times when I wonder if I'll make it. What a comfort to know that God sustains us by his power. Uh, Peter's promise is not only that there is a hope maintained, but it is a people preserved, a people preserved to enjoy that hope. Uh, Whatever we face, we can face it absolutely confidently that the, tr- the future is secure and that we have a hope that is maintained. So that's the second thought for us. We have a hope 
that is maintained. Praise God. Thirdly, praise God for a hope that is tested. Uh, Look with me at uh, verse 6 and following. Peter writes, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, Late evangelist uh, David Watson used to say that Jesus promised his disciples three things. He said they would be absurdly happy, completely fearless, and in constant trouble. I think that rather sums up the New Testament if you uh, read through it. And I suppose, arguably, it's an excellent summary of what Peter promises his readers in, uh, in this letter, and we're going to see more of that. Uh, we've already seen, haven't we, how the threat of persecution was, uh, was, was looming uh, for uh, Peter's readers. Uh, very soon, they knew that life was going to be difficult. Uh, possibly, it might even end. And yet, despite all this, Peter can still say that they can rejoice. Verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice. How can he say that? How can he say that they can rejoice in the midst of that suffering? Well, a few things that stand out. Uh, We can rejoice in suffering, firstly, because we know that it's only for a short time. Uh, Verse 6, he says, uh, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer. Uh, As difficult and as unbearable as trials and tribulations might seem, uh, they have a fixed span. They're not going to go on for forever. Uh, against the backdrop of the ages, they are only for a brief time. Uh, St. Paul famously uh, put it, didn't he, in Letter of the Romans. Uh, the suffer- I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Uh, we can rejoice in suffering because we know that ultimately, as, as hard as it might seem, it is only for a brief time. Uh, and God has got all of eternity to make it up to us. Uh, Secondly, we can rejoice in suffering because we know that it has a purpose. Uh, Verse 7, he says, explains why why have these trials come. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor. Uh, We can rejoice in suffering because we know that it has a purpose, which is to test and to strengthen our faith. He uses that illustration, doesn't he, of gold. If gold is to be deemed pure, it has to be put through the fire so that the impurity gets gets burned off and so that it can be refined. Uh, And so too, if our faith is going to be refined so that we're ready for the inheritance that God has for us, uh, we must expect to endure the fires of affliction. It's got to happen. There's no other way, unfortunately. I wish there was, but there isn't. But it has to happen for a purpose and for a great purpose that our faith... Uh, is refined and ready, that the genuineness of our faith might shine out to God's praise and glory. Uh, Think of an athlete training for an endurance event. If you're training for a triathlon or a marathon or something, you would expect pain, wouldn't you, on the way? If your training didn't hurt in some way, you'd question whether you were really doing it. But if the training training hurts, then you know that ultimately it's for a good purpose. It's to make you stronger so that you can compete and you uh, you can finish the race well. It's just the same here. Uh, we must expect tough times uh, if we're going to be strengthened to reach the finishing line. It's got a purpose. Suffering has a purpose. We can praise God it has a purpose. Uh, God uses it to strengthen us for his service. Uh, Finally, we can rejoice in suffering because even now, 
we can enjoy a foretaste of our final joy. Uh, Verse 8, wonderful words from Peter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, Peter knows that one day the Christians are going to see the Lord Jesus face to face in all his full glory. And what a day that is going to be. We'll delight in his presence. And yet, wonderfully, even now we get a foretaste of that. Uh, We can know by the presence of his spirit alive inside us something of that joy and that hope that we're looking forward to, that, that joy and that satisfaction that we will taste finally when we get to see Jesus face to face. I'm often struck um, speaking to, to elderly Christians, Christians who've been walking with Lord Jesus for many, many years, how so often their, externally their circumstances um, seem so difficult, and yet so often they are the people who are shining out with joy and praise. They don't seem to have any reason for it. And yet I'm sure this is why it's true. They are having a foretaste of the glory that is to uh, be revealed. They know something of this hope that Peter speaks of. That honey of heaven, I guess, sweetens the bitterness of earth. They know something of that sweetness that, uh, that we are going to experience in full in the future. And it makes trials all that bit more bearable. We can praise God through suffering because even now we have a taste of that. I don't know what your situation is like uh, this evening, but uh, I guess in a gathering of this sort of size, there will almost certainly be some of us who these words are particularly appropriate, I guess. Maybe like um, Peter's first readers, you are experiencing some kind of opposition for being a follower of the Lord Jesus. Maybe there's a work colleague who is just giving you constant aggro for your Christian faith. Maybe it's a, a family member who knows you're a Christian, they don't share your faith, and there's just that constant niggling. And there's times when you just think, Lord, I just wish it would end. I want it to finish. It hurts. Maybe uh, it's the pain of illness. Uh, maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's somebody you know very close to you. Uh, and there are times when you just don't know if you can carry on. You don't know what else you've got to give. It's striking, I think, just as I close, that the word that Peter uses here, that the NIV has translated many kinds or all kinds of troubles, quite literally means multicoloured. We should expect the Christian life to be multicoloured. There are going to be days when it's going to be shining gold and gleaming and all is right with the world. And there will be other days where it will be darkest black. And we can expect that. It's multicoloured. And yet even on the darkest of days, we can be sure that there's no colour that God's grace can't match. (laughs) We can take heart that in the ocean of eternity, our troubles are but a drop. In the grand scheme of things, in God's eternal plan and his glory, we will look back one day and we will see his hand, we will see his purpose, and we will uh, be with him. Or we can draw strength from that knowledge that they're not random, God isn't just letting us suffer by ourselves. They're given to us in his manifold wisdom in order to prepare us for heaven. Uh, And we can experience something of that heavenly joy even now in the midst of suffering through his spirit as we we are are living uh, for him. We can praise God 
that we have a hope tested. Uh, the Russian author uh, Dostoevsky once said that to, to live without hope is to cease to live. Uh, profound words, I think. And yet the Christian can reply with confidence that because of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we have a living hope. We are not ceasing to live. We are living. We are the people who are living. We have a living hope that can't be taken away from us. Whatever we face, whatever life throws up, we can trust that that, tru- that hope holds true by the power of God forever and ever. We can praise God for a living hope. Shall we uh, pray? And uh, then we're going to praise God again. <coughs> well, I guess none of us are, are quite in the situation that Peter's uh, original readers would have been. And yet each one of us knows something of what it is to suffer, whether it's through illness, whether it's uh, unemployment, whether it's through bearing mockery for your name. All of us will, will know that at some point in life. Maybe we're going through particularly difficult circumstances at the moment. And yet we can still praise you. Thank you so much that you have worked in our hearts to bring us to a living hope, saving knowledge of you. We are alive forevermore because of your death and resurrection. And we pray that you would help us to live lives faithfully, joyful lives that are praising you, no matter what, uh, until that day when we uh, get our full inheritance. Amen.